Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday morning, everybody, and happy 4th of July holiday. Hope you guys enjoy the day, stay safe, and uh, consume uh, some VolQuest content while you're out at the barbecues and by the pool or on the lake or whatever the day may bring you. Uh, This podcast is brought to you by Exterior Home Solutions, as always, with the storms. There were a lot of storms over the weekend, uh, some yesterday as well. You might have some you know, updating to do on your home, some repairs, whatever the case may be. Exterior Home Solutions has got you covered for that. You can give them a call for a free estimate at 865-524-5888, 865-524-5888, or visit them online, exteriorhomesolutions.com. Like this video, subscribe to VolQuest on the YouTube channel, and of course, join our family over on the General's Quarters. I am Eric Kane. We got Rob Lewis, Matt Ray, and Brent Hubs. And today, guys, I thought it'd be fitting... Since it's the 4th of July, since we're going to see fireworks on into the night, keeping the dogs up, and for those of us that, you know, used to have to wake up from morning radio, keeping us up at night, I thought it'd be fun to discuss some fireworks from this past academic year for football, basketball, baseball, whatever the case may be. There was a lot to celebrate, and so you can kind of make it your own. It can be a single game performance, it can be a play, it can be, you know, whatever the case is, but I'll kind of start this conversation, Brent, with Jalen Hyatt, five touchdowns against Alabama. We've talked about it ad nauseum, but when you think fireworks on the biggest stage against your biggest rival, biggest win of the season, the five touchdowns from Jalen Hyatt comes to mind. Well, no doubt. I mean, that, that's a that's a performance that everybody's going to be talking about for a long time. That's a game. That whole game's a firework. I mean, that was the the whole scene and everything about it. But for Jalen Hyatt to do what he did against the Nick Saban secondary and Tennessee to torch them the way that they did um, certainly falls into that category. You know, I I think, I think about the kick um, Rob, just because it was so ugly Um, and and the game would have went into overtime. So it wasn't, it wasn't the kick that was, you know, the difference maker in terms of games over at that point or or not, you would have played on. Uh, So who knows what would have happened in overtime, but, but the kick stands out. Um, and for the Alabama fans, it's the, the drop by Jameer Gibbs that stands out at, at that point in time, too. But, um, you know, maybe for me of that game, no offense to Jalen Hyatt, but it's that last drive. It's the aggressiveness of Tennessee to play to win in regulation. That's probably the biggest firework for me when you talk about Alabama specifically. Yeah, I mean, no matter what you pick, I mean, it's got to be that game, Whether no matter how you slice it up. You know, whether it's Jalen Hyatt or, or for me, Hubbard, instead of just the last drive, it would be that fourth quarter just because, you know, the strip sack touchdown for Alabama, it just felt like, well, there it is. You know, it, it was, it's been a great night for Tennessee, but it's coming crashing back to reality. But then, you know, they, they, re, they get punched in the mouth like that and they, they, they bounce back, which is not something this program had done for many, many, many years against that kind of competition. Yeah, no doubt about it. Of course, it, it snapped a streak of 
15 or whatever it was. And, you know, Tennessee hadn't beaten its biggest rival in that long. And it, it was really the, the keynote win of a successful year for Josh Hopple, year two. Of course, 10 wins in the regular season, got an Orange Bowl win. There was a whole lot of fireworks. As soon as that Chase McGrath kick, that knuckleball went through the uprights. And, of course, the celebration ensued. Staying on that game, and this is a minor note. Um, not a lot of people will think about it, but Matt, Darnell Wright's performance, again, this is offensive line play, but Darnell Wright's performance in that game against Will Anderson was incredible. He didn't have a sack. I don't think he had a tackle. He might have had one pressure. What he did in that game, and really going back to the LSU game against B.J. Ojolari, against uh, Ojolari and Will Anderson, Darnell Wright was one of the unsung heroes in that game and that win over Alabama. Yeah, you can talk about fireworks and whatever. Well, Darnell Wright was lights out those two days. I mean, man, he made his money. Um, it paid off come draft time. But what he did against Will Anderson, who I think is just a freakish, freakish talent that, that can do so many things, it's probably just really tapping into potential more as he heads into the NFL. I think what Darnell Wright did that that night just gets overshadowed by the five touchdowns, the McGrath kick, the – the late drive, but Darnell Wright was so, so good that night, so good for Tennessee, you know, all of last fall, um, you know. And then, to me, I think Brent touched on that last drive, the way that they played aggressive. Um, you've gone to Jalen Hot all night when you needed the big play, but those last two plays, you know, 13 seconds left there, you go to Ramel Keaton and Brew McCoy. And, uh, you know, Ramel Keaton, arguably a candidate for catch of the year with the Florida in, in that Florida game, but uh, Brew McCoy going up in con in traffic, hanging on to it through contact. That was such a huge kick to uh, set up Chase McGrath, a huge play to set up Chase McGrath for that kick. So I, I think at the end of the day, um, regardless of what you pick here, that game is is the biggest moment for Tennessee athletics this past academic year. Well, and I think when you're talking about Darnell Wright, I think the appreciation for that is going to show up this season. And, and that's not to say that Tennessee is going to be, uh, you know, just horrible on the offensive line uh, or anything like that, because I don't think they're going to be. But I think um, how much though that he played, how durable he was, how well he played, uh, you're going to get reminded of that, I think, early in the year as Tennessee gets themselves settled on the outside at the offensive line. He – he was terrific all year long. He was great those two games, but um, he was just – Darnell was just fantastic and just played every snap. The, the durability was just was just crazy. Um, my, my other candidate for play of the year, Eric, that, that doesn't get talked about is Hendon Hooker to Princeton Fant on third down coming off the goal line. That's where I was going um, with like, the next one because it leads into the catch of the year, arguably, that Matt's talking about. It was all that same drive. Well, and, and Florida had all the mow there. You know, Billy Napier's calling timeout um, to, to, to get the ball back. They're going to go try to score. Um, I mean, they're they're going after it. And I've watched that play a bunch, and that may be the best play Hendon Hooker made all year. And Hendon Hooker made a lot of really good plays. But, but to, to make that reaction that fast on an unblocked guy, square your shoulders and hit Princeton Fant, just a just a ridiculously good football play by a quarterback at that point in that moment. And if they don't get that play there, I'm not sure what happens in that Florida game. Would have been really interesting to see because that one turned the tide big time. Yeah, it was huge. Uh, that, as you mentioned, that was third and ten. You were backed up inside your own twenty. You had a pressure coming right up from the middle, and Hooker just sidesteps it, evades it. 
throws right to the marker. Princeton fan catches it, goes down, gets it by you know a couple feet maybe. You go down, you have the Ramel Keaton catch, you continue to go down, and then you have the Brew McCoy touchdown. And that gave, you, you mentioned you don't know, you know, without that play, how that game turns out. I mean, that gave Tennessee a lead right there going into the break. It was a drive that was like, uh, you know, it was a drive that just put them on the board right before halftime. It was huge. It was it was ginormous. But also, Rob, in that game, if you kind of want to go a more broader scale, you know, Hendon Hooker made a whole lot of plays, but I mean, he... That was kind of his Heisman, you know, coming out game, if you will. Like, hey, I'm here. I'm one of the best players in the country. Over 300 yards passing, over 100 yards rushing. You beat Florida at home. You sustain a comeback win. Um, that was or a comeback from Florida. That was a huge Hendon Hooker game overall as well. Sure. Yeah. You had game day. Game day in town. I mean, you had a you know you didn't have a 15 game losing streak, but you had a decade plus of, of you know pretty well documented futility against the Gators and it, you know, had lost some games and just unbelievable, you know, mind bending fashion. So, you know, even going into that fourth quarter, I, no Tennessee fan was, was taking anything for granted. I mean, they were holding on for, for dear life. And um, you know, in, in hindsight, not nearly as big as Alabama, but you know, if you don't get over that Florida hump, you know, the Alabama game doesn't mean what it did. And one, you know, this game was such a blowout. I think you can forget about this one play. We we're talking about fireworks, but the fumble kickoff at LSU that Tennessee recovered I mean that that uh, Tennessee I think wins that game anyway, but I don't know if it's the route that it, that it turned out to be that that day. That was such a huge you know injection of momentum early. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, you got handed a present when you got off the bus, and you go down, you you make him pay for it, and and that's all she wrote. Uh, so there's a lot of moments to pull from the Alabama game, a lot of moments to pull from the Florida game, the Omari the Omari Thomas, um, you know, scoop there, the forced fumble where Tennessee goes down and, and scores. I think that was big as well. Let's flip the script, Matt. Let's go to defense. And there was a couple of plays defensively for Tennessee in that that big win over Kentucky in October that stand out. But um, the one play that stands out to me, man, is that hit. You've got Will Levis and Kentucky driving. They're they're about to score. It's a slant to Dane Key, and Danico Slaughter comes down and just lays the wood. Ball pops straight up in the air. You've got um, you got somebody that 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 gets it and runs the other side of the fifty and, and puts Tennessee in, in scoring position there. That was. That was huge defensive play, big big time hit. Yeah, yeah that, that was. Oh, Matt, go ahead, Brent. No, go ahead, Matt. Uh, that, I'm sorry. That that was a massive play. You know, at that point in that game, um, I felt like Tennessee made some really big defensive stops there early against LSU to force them into bad situations. And you know, for me, I think you're right, Eric. I think that's probably the biggest defensive play. You know, Danico Slaughter with Kentucky, but man, when Tennessee had Alabama backed up. You know, on their own goal line, Jeremy Banks comes through screaming at Bryce Young um, and then delivers the hit. Um, to me, that was more, you know, that play didn't really result in anything, an incomplete pass, um, forced Alabama to punt. But I think it was a tone setter for Tennessee on that day. And while that game turned into an offensive shootout, I think it showed that Tennessee was here to play that day, um, that, that they were, you know, mentally where they needed to be. And I think that carried some momentum for the Vols as well. Um, but that Danico Slaughter hit, man, that was whew, right in front of me on the sidelines there. Um, that that one was that one was a big time blow. Yeah, most explosive play for sure. Uh, when you talk about fireworks, a couple other plays that jump out to me: uh, Tyler Barron's sack at the end of the first half against Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. knocked starting quarterback out of the game, uh, was a big play, and Omari Thomas's strip. Uh, in, in the Florida game that Jeremy Banks recovered where Florida was driving to go in 
were two plays. Now you never did see the fumble. Just Banks came out with the ball. You had no idea it was out was out at that point. But significance, those two plays were of significance. From a fireworks and a highlight reel and a highlight moment, it's Danico Slaughter for for sure, Rob. Yeah, and I would I would throw a you know going back to that Pittsburgh game, which seems like a million years ago, but that was a dogfight. I mean, especially mm-hmm. that first half, the Trayvon Flowers interception Trayvon Flowers yep. in the back of the end zone. You know, great when, footwork when you know Pittsburgh had had it first. I think first down inside the ten, if I remember right. But that was you know the way that game played out. That turned out to be a huge play. And then it was it was Flowers again that had the sack in the fourth quarter, wasn't it? That, that kind of. Not knocked him out of field goal rage. Rob, it was it was Flowers that had the sack on on third and goal there at the end that knocked him all the way. It made like fourth and fourth and goal from the twenty two, and, and that came after Brent. If you if we remember right, and um, I think I am, he muffed a punt, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, and and so the the resiliency. And I remember talking, or we you know media, we we talked to him after the game and and the week that preceded it. He's like that. That that mindset goes back to being a baseball player. You play shortstop, you're going to make an error, but you got to come right back because they're going to hit it right back at you. And so I remember that specifically. But yeah, that um, Cedric Tillman was huge in that Pittsburgh game, of course. But but those plays from Trayvon Flower were, were was magnificent. Let's shift the gears here. Let's go. I mean, there's ton, tons more football plays we can talk about. Let's go to basketball, Rob. Uh, Olivier Kumwa, of course, he's going to play Michigan next year. But he had a couple of really really nice games for Tennessee. 27 points against Texas in January, and of course his Sweet 16 showdown against Duke uh, a couple months ago. Yeah, just you know, and, and, I, and I'm not taking any shots at Olivier, but just I mean, you have to talk about the inconsistency because mm-hmm. I mean, those were two games. I mean, the, the NCAA game against Duke was you know a historic performance for this program. I mean, you just I, I forget now. I think I think Olivier is the third guy to ever ever go 30 plus in an NCAA game. I had Reggie Johnson and. Bernard, I could be misremembering that right. Anyway, it's a very short list. And for him to do that, you know, after the kind of up and down year he had, um, it was it, it was kind of a snapshot of, of his career um, to see him do that. But, yeah, I mean, the Duke game was, was certainly a firework and, and the way Olivier played, especially the second half. What was it, 17 points in a row? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think at one point, um, you know, just really turned it – one of the best postseason efforts that you're going to see a guy in a Tennessee uniform. And then, you know, the Texas game wasn't the same kind of stage, but still, you know, big time non-conference opponent for a team that, that turned out to obviously, you know, make a deep run themselves in the NCAA. So it was, you know, those two games, just a weird snapshot of his career. Cause you know, normally if, if a guy's inconsistent, it's going to be the bright lights where, where he shrinks and doesn't show up. And, you know, Olivier might not show up on Tuesday night in Starkville, but you know, in 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 round in the second round of the NCAA tournament against Duke, you know he, he's ready for it. So you know, weird weird career, a guy that had had all kinds of talent and just could never really put it together for any long consistent stretch. Yeah, I mean, one one of the most maddening players to, to have come through the program, uh, and, and I'm not that's not a personal shot at him, just from the standpoint of Rob, you mentioned it. I mean, he's going against Duke's big man, right, and and. Um, he, he puts up the, the points he puts up in Orlando to get him to Sweet 16, and then he's a non-factor against Florida Atlantic. Just a complete and utter non-factor um, in, in that game. And, and that just – those two games to me kind of sum up – sum him up in a nutshell and just from the, the maddening standpoint that he could do anything one night and seemingly not do anything at all the next night that, that he went out and played. But, I mean, I, I don't know who that – I mean, if you – compare that performance against somebody, the performance against Duke 
against any other tournament performance at, at Tennessee, Rob. I, I I don't know that there's anybody anybody that's ever done it any better. Um, I mean, not not on not against that caliber of competition. You know, with a Sweet Sixteen trip on the line, I, I, not not in my time of you know of covering him. It was you know like it was historic. And again, another weird thing about him is you know a lot of times when guys don't put it together, but they're talented, it's because they don't work hard. You know, and, and everybody knows it. And that, that wasn't the case with Olivier at, at all. I mean, you, I mean, Hubbard, you know how you know what Rick Barnes is like if he thinks a kid doesn't work hard. And, I mean, he was never. He never questioned Olivier's work ethic or, you know, what it meant to him. And so, you know, that that's just another, you know, kind of weird little aspect for a guy that wasn't ever really able to put it together, but at the same time was legit one of the hardest workers on the team. Yeah, that's right. That was around a 32 game advancing on to the Sweet 16 and could not have happened without Olivier Cumwell. Rob, so many different games in the season so long, and especially with this Tennessee team, there was just a different guy. It felt like almost every game that stepped up. What are some other notable performances that kind of warranted some fireworks, if you will, from Tennessee basketball? Oh, man. I mean, just seeing, I mean, this is not an individual game performance, but seeing the way Santiago and um, and Josiah both, but the way those two kids battled through everything that neither one of them, you know, ever complained, ever used as an excuse, I thought that was admirable. Um, the way that, you know, they were up and down all year, really never really put it together, and they got hot. You know, late and finished on a high note. Obviously, you know, losing to Florida Atlantic in the Sweet 16 was was not really. A, I wouldn't call that a high note, but um, you know, just the way they were able to bounce back. They lose at home to Kentucky in, in you know ugly fashion in January. Fans are you know griping and you know thinking the world is over. Then they go on and you know kind of get it back together again. They lose at home to Missouri in that you know just crazy fashion. The way they lost to, to Vanderbilt on the road when you know a lot of things went wrong. Julia didn't dunk it. And they just kept they just kept bouncing back. Um, you know, finished with a sweet sixteen run. Uh, you know, again, disappointed the way it ended in Madison Square Garden. But I'll just remember the, the resiliency of this team. I mean the way they had some of those ugly losses um, you know, at home to Missouri, that crazy one to Vandy and just just never let it beat him down. I, I'll go I'll go one and, and throw Zakai's performance at Mississippi State into mm-hmm. the equation there. Um, 40, 40 minutes um, said he could do it every night if needed to. Obviously, he suffered the injury later was that, in the was year. That Santi, Santi was out that game? Huh? Yeah, yeah. He was, I mean, was kind of it. And, and A-Rush basically said, go make some plays for us, and, and he did. And um, that was another performance, not nearly to the level of production that Olivier had, but to play at the level he played at for 40 minutes, it was he got to kind of go back to his old uh, New York roots, Matt Ray, and, and just, hey, win and you stay on the court and he just decided he was going to play and wasn't going to lose and come off the court and he, he did it for 40 minutes you don't see a lot of 40 minute performances in college basketball these days but uh he was certainly the little engine that could that night no absolutely no that was you know at that point too it felt like tennessee really really needed that win it was coming and, off the uh, it was coming off the embarrassment against kentucky right guys uh, that that's where I was thinking that it yeah. was at. So like, like I said, it just felt like Tennessee needed that win. You know, Santiago's out, and then you go out there for forty minutes and deliver. Um, smallest guy on the court, and, and you just you know come up time and time again. I don't think you can you know undervalue that performance. All right, we got plenty more firework moments. We're gonna recap and and uh, reflect on here on the Volquest podcast. So many to choose from with this academic year being one of the best in Tennessee athletics history. But first, let's get a word from our proud sponsors, Exterior Home Solutions. Your roof 
It's the most important protection against nature for your home or your business. That's why I trust the experts at Exterior Home Solutions. As always, a big time thank you to our friends, Exterior Home Solutions. They have got you covered. If you ever need them, give them a call at 865-524-5888. All right, let's talk recruiting. We'll get into more of the class of 24 recruiting and what's to come potentially over the next couple of weeks here in a moment. But we're talking fireworks here. And if we're talking this last academic year, we're we're concluding the class of 2023 and, and starting the class of 2024. But Matt Ray, um, commitments for Tennessee that warranted fireworks. Big time wins for Josh Heupel and his staff on the recruiting trail this last academic year. Yeah, we started this podcast talking about Alabama, so let's stay there. Um, ten- Tennessee beating out uh, Alabama for Arion Carter was mm-hmm. huge for the balls at a position of need, a guy that, you know, blew up in state, you know, late in the recruiting cycle. Um, you're prioritizing him. Alabama's prioritizing him. Others are trying to get involved, but it, it really came down to Tennessee and Alabama. So to be able to win out there for Ariel and Carter was, was huge. Um, same thing with Dave and Hobbs, another guy that uh, some other schools had interest in early, but really after camp season, um, you know, continued to blow up and had Georgia after him, um, Alabama in the hunt there some. But that, that one really came down to Tennessee and Georgia in the end, and, and Tennessee and Rodney Garner won out for a really athletic, you know, just starting to scratch the surface of his potential big man on the defensive line that I think can do a lot of things for Tennessee on the defensive front for years to come. So those two later in the, you know, 2023 recruiting cycle were big for the Vols. Um and, you know, this time around here, just kind of jumping off, um, Jake Merklinger was obviously big. I mean, when you get your quarterback that you want, you beat out North Carolina, you beat out Michigan State. Georgia was, you know, kind of flirting around there at the time. So to, to beat those programs out and land Jake Merklinger after having already landed, you know, Nico in, in the previous cycle, I think was huge uh, for Tennessee. Uh, he's a guy that's helped lay you know some of the foundation here in this class he's attracted the attention of some of these really highly sought after receivers that Tennessee are after right now so Jake Merklinger is a big time recruiting win for for Tennessee in the 2024 class um and a guy I think we've touched on him a little bit but but a guy that I think you'll see continue to blow up so so some fireworks so to speak potentially in the future is Gage Ginther um, I think when he committed, you know, I think it was Tennessee landed three-star offensive lineman Gage Ginther. But I think as that one continues to unfold, I, I think that's a guy that's going to climb in the rankings potentially and that's going to play some really meaningful football um, on Rocky Top in the, in the future. Go Staying ahead. on recruiting here in this last academic year, um, for the class of 2023, Tennessee had the number one overall player in the country. And that's Nico Iamaliava. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, when you talk about fireworks, to me, the fireworks of that recruiting class is the fact that they were all here in January, no. basically to go through spring practice. And that's yep. kind of a shift in, in how everything has changed from, from that standpoint. I mean, Nico is obviously committed before uh, the academic year started, if you're going to July to July. Uh, for, for me, it's the Arian Carter story. I mean, I've covered recruiting for a long time. Uh, obviously, you cover it different now than you did years ago when you didn't have cell phones and um, you weren't going on the road and seeing guys. But but to be at Arian Carter's house um, hours before his 
you know, public announcement that it was Tennessee and to sit on the end of his bed and interview him and watch his phone continue to blow up with the Alabama coaches that they were on their way. They were going to be outside, you know, they're going to be at the school to meet him and uh, to, to see all of that and the stress that he was going through and kind of how he managed it um, was really, was really an inside perspective that I'd never seen. You know, you hear kids talk about the stress of it, but to be sitting at the end of the guy's bed and, and watch his phone just incessantly buzz, and it's all from Alabama people, you know, and, and um, for him to manage and handle things the way he did, it's just a reminder of you understand why kids are over the process. It's a cool process, right? I mean, n- nobody, no kid will, should tell you that they're not blessed and that they didn't, you know, that the process – they would they wouldn't trade it for anybody who's not going through the process, but it's a reminder to how challenging what the process can be and, and just how relentless it can be all the way up to the absolute finish. I mean, he committed and basically got in the car the next day and came to Knoxville for practice. Um, just a unique recruiting story uh, that was a huge firework for Tennessee to close out that class. And to think he could be playing running back in Memphis right now. <laughs> that this time last year that's what he was going to do right well that's recruiting i mean yeah. you know that, that's the he's an exception i mean most guys are known early but but rob every time you think everybody should sign early and you've evaluated somebody two years out you know who everybody is that there's an arian carter that shows up there's a a zakai ziegler that reclassifies and bounces out of nowhere seemingly and a wonka and these guys you know that that are just late quote late fines which are not supposed to happen um but to tennessee's credit they kept digging in the state of tennessee took a look at a running back committed to memphis and found themselves a five-star linebacker who has a real chance to help tennessee this fall yeah i mean they are definitely exceptions in this day and age and i think you see it more in, in basketball or at least like guys like zakai I mean, it wasn't like you know tennessee wasn't beating out uconn and you know, Syracuse for, for Zakai or, or, or Tobey, whereas, you know, Tennessee was beating out the, the heavy hitters for, for Arion. I mean, I guess you could – I think you, you see some kids and in, in ba- more kids in basketball that coaches just kind of find that have slipped between the cracks and, and as opposed to in, in football where it's, it's, it's pretty rare where, you know, it's just going to be Tennessee that, you know, thinks this guy is a player or he's just going to be Alabama – who thinks this guy is a player? That's why I I don't think we're going to see a lot of Arian Carters um, going forward that that you just don't really even know about you know until August and then all of a sudden he it's a SEC absolute SEC dogfight in his senior year. I, mean, I I think those are going to be pretty pretty uncommon. Yeah, I I agree they're going to be uncommon. But the reminder, Matt, is you never stop, right? You never stop the evaluation process because you I mean Hobbs is another example of that, right? I yeah. mean he camped the yeah. year before. And a lot of people liked him because he was really athletic and really quick, but he was a basketball guy. He was a little bit lean. Was he ever going to really commit to football? There are always, there, There's going to be some exceptions, not many, but the lesson to everybody in the back recruiting office is don't stop evaluating. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing for David Hobbs is just he was playing tight end at one point. Like, there, there was some talk that – could he potentially be a tight end because he was so lean? Um, and then from junior to senior year, he took it really serious in the weight room and got right nutritionally some, ballooned up, and, you know, now he's going to be 
at some point you have to think he's going to be a, a contributor here at Tennessee. Matt, you think about the commitment to your body too, though. I mean, you, you talked about ballooned up a little bit, you know, got in the weight room between junior and senior season. But when me and AP and Grant went and shot his uh, recruiting or his uh, commitment video there before the the South Carolina weekend, man, he was in basketball season and he was super lean. And now he's gotten to campus and he's he's you know back into football and he he's put on that weight again. He's getting bigger. So um, yep. I just think it's really really impressive how athletic he is and the, the determination that he has. You know, as a high school prospect, take football seriously, still give everything you have for basketball, and then now obviously fully commit to football. Um, we'll come back to football recruiting here in a moment and take a look at what's to come potentially over the next couple of days. As we wrap up this fireworks conversation, there's still plenty that we you know missed out on or we didn't mention. It's been a really good year for Tennessee. But with Tennessee baseball, something that comes to mind, and it's not necessarily a single performance, but kind of like what Rob was talking about for basketball. I mean, just the way you close. You were 5-10 and 10 in SEC play. That Vanderbilt series turned everything around. You finished winning 11 of your last 15 SEC games, 15 of your last 19 games in the regular season. You won on the road in postseason play. You went to Omaha. Uh, this team this team was good, and this team finally you know played like it and reached its potential, right? And if you want to talk individual performance, I'll leave Zane Denton to you, Bram, but understandably he's in the transfer portal and it is what it is, but you can't talk Tennessee in 2022 without talking about Chase Burns, what he did against Vanderbilt, what he did against Southern Miss, and of course what he did in this picture right here, if you're watching on YouTube, what he did against Stanford, College World Series, he was incredible. You know, records that have, you know, that he stands beside Todd Helton's name in Tennessee record books. He's done things in the College World Series that hadn't been done since 1997. Uh, he was really phenomenal on the big stage for Tennessee. Tennessee doesn't win a game in Omaha without him. Tennessee doesn't get to Omaha without him. Uh, but he was just one of many pieces that made that team very special this past season, Brent. Yeah, there's no doubt. And and he had a great postseason. Um, you know, just like Maui, uh, for as maddening as he was, he was terrific in Omaha. I mean, mm -hmm. He was Tennessee's most complete player in Omaha outside of Burns' performance on the mound against Stanford. But for the entire tournament, I mean, I, Maui was terrific. For me, it's it's the it's the the two the two ninth innings. It's the ninth inning against Vanderbilt when you're dead in water and you go back to back home runs and and you're in your Homer Park at home. Uh, and, and then what Zane Denton did down to his last strike at Clemson. I mean, your season's over. Yeah. I mean, basically, I mean, you, you, you know, it's not over, but but you're going to – You're going to win three fight. games, essentially, to, yeah. to climb out of that. Right. You're in a dog fight to try to get out of that region to get to a super regional. You're down to your last strike, um, and and for him to, to, to send that ball. I mean, the, the, highlight of, the highlights of that, you've got all the Clemson fans in the background with their cameras getting ready to film the last out, and, and it turns into a home run. Uh, you know, a two-strike home run by Zane Denton. So those two ninth innings, to me, are, are what will always stand out about this baseball season because the one at Vanderbilt turned the season around and then the one against Clemson puts you in the driver's seat to give you a chance to get to that super regional and ultimately you end up getting to Omaha. Hey, Rob, that is what we call a complete <laughs> delete rewrite, that type of game right there. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's – my my all time. I mean, I can I can see that would be an all timer. You see, my all timer was probably the the Jawan Jennings uh, catch in, in yep. Athens, but with uh, you know, and and certain you know this this most recent Tennessee Alabama game was was one that had some delete delete delete. <laughs> well, it's funny because like somebody uh, I forgot what a game was Tennessee lost and somebody you know just mad and 
They're like, yeah, suspicious how Kanter had that four takes up immediately after Tennessee's loss. Well, if you do your job correctly, it's there right after the final out. So in the ninth inning of that Clemson game, rewrite. In the tenth inning of that Clemson game, rewrite. And then obviously, whenever Tennessee won at the end, I had to rewrite. So that game in particular, three rewrites for your boy. But hey, uh, it was exciting and one of those games you'll never forget. Let's move on to recruiting, all right? So there's some uh, Tennessee targets, Matt Ray, who's set to come out and make their announcements in the coming days, and obviously some announcements in the coming weeks. Uh, What can you tell us the latest kind of heading into this uh, announcement watch for Ronan O'Connell, Daniel Calhoun, uh, Marquez Easley? Tennessee not doing anything there with Marquez Easley. Um, You know, shot their shot at Daniel Calhoun. He, He kept coming back to campus. Um, he, he's going to end up somewhere else. Uh, to me, it's down to, to Texas and Georgia, and the home state Bulldogs have had a lot of momentum for a while. I'd be surprised to see him pick elsewhere. Um, Ronan O'Connell, you know, he, he's been a difficult one to gauge, um, but you know, here heading into an announcement later today, it feels like Clemson has the momentum in that one. Um, you know, Tennessee, I'm not really sh- sure what more they could have done on that front with Ronan O'Connell. They were his first major Power Five offer. You know, recruited him the whole way. Uh, Clemson offered him basically two and a half months ago, um, but managed to get him back to campus for an official visit. And I think when it really comes down to it, if he picks the Tigers later today, he likes the uh, opportunity that's there on the offensive line. He he would be the first offensive lineman committed um, in their class for this cycle. So I think that makes it interesting. But you know, Tennessee. Um, you know, obviously had Ronan here last um, on his last official visit. Felt like they had some momentum coming out of that one. But he's just a guy that plays things pretty close to his vest. Didn't talk to anybody. Didn't do any updates. Um, you know, hasn't really talked to any of the recruits that, that were here with him, you know, since he left that weekend. So he, he's been hard to judge. Um, but, but Clemson, you know, when they offered him, had him on campus for a junior day, offered him and made it a big enough impression to get him back, and they seem to be best positioned right now. What about another guy that's set to make an announcement coming up uh, here very, very soon? That'd be offensive lineman William Satterwhite. Yeah, you know, William Satterwhite's one that's gone back and forth now for, heck, the better part of three months, really, behind the scenes, it feels like. Um, and it's, it's mainly been between Tennessee and Clemson. Um, with each team having momentum at some point. Clemson, you know, grabbed momentum heading into his official visit there at the 1st of June, um, but he he wanted to see the process through. He had decided that he hadn't made a decision, um, you know, ahead of time because he wanted to see both Tennessee and Clemson on official visits. He took his official visit to Tennessee the last weekend of June and, and you know, said all the right things coming out about the Vols. Um, and this would still continue to go back and forth. Um, you know, you've heard us say a couple of times in the general's quarters that it feels like it's as good as a coin flip. Um, you know, over the weekend, it felt like Clemson had more of the momentum. Um, you know, now maybe Tennessee's got a little bit more of that. I think for him, he was going to decide on July 4th or 5th. He pushed that back and decided he would take the holiday to kind of finalize everything have final conversations with each coaching staff. To my knowledge, he hasn't informed either coaching staff of a decision. Um, but, but right now there's a little bit more optimism, at least the time of this recording. And I say that because this thing has, again, shifted multiple times in the last 72 hours. Um, here at the time of this recording, there's a little bit more optimism around Tennessee. 
Um, but but William Satterwhite is a guy that's just trying to do his due diligence, I think. Um, when you talk to him, it's not really – he can't say anything bad um, about either program, and he can't say enough good about either program. <laughs> so it's like he, he – I think he understands that he has a really good opportunity in front of him whichever way he goes, and he's trying to figure out the best way to, to eliminate one. Um, I think it was important to him during his official visit that he got – you know, some more one-on-one time here with Tennessee. And if the Vols end up winning out, you know, here on Friday, I think that's going to be you know, a big reason why. And then another guy, that, and again, these things can change by the minute it's recruiting. And it's important that we say at the time of this recording, because we recorded and then you guys hear it a couple hours later, right? So um, Elijah Rushing is a guy that's kind of hard to get a read on right now. Obviously, Tennessee's up there, but uh, right now it's a little unknown, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's time to close the door there on Elijah Rushing. Um, you know, there's a lot of folks that have felt good about Oregon. Um, Arizona's, you know, one that still feels optimistic to to an extent about their chances for keeping the in-state kid home. But he came out here, and as we alluded to, um, you know, a couple of days before that visit started, maybe on Wednesday of that week, um, after we caught up with Elijah Rushing, it felt like the Vols were in that more so than – you know, many thought um, it still feels like that's the case. He had a really good time out here. His family had a really good time out here. Um, he likes the the scheme at Tennessee and what it offers him. Um, so we'll see. He's he's one that's going to be pretty quiet um, going into this decision on July sixth. Um, but you know, it, not ready to close the door on Tennessee. There, the, the Vols have a chance, and uh, to me. Um, this is just an example, not that it's going to end this way, but this one feels like a, you know, how Jordan Matthews felt at this time last year. LSU felt like, you know, they had maybe circled back in to, to have enough of a chance there. Texas really felt confident. Tennessee was, you know, cautiously optimistic. To me, that's where this, you know, decision is with Elijah Rushing. I don't think anybody's going to know ahead of time. He hasn't told a staff and, and I think that's the way it'll be um, going into this decision on July 6th, whenever he announces. One of those where we have to record two different versions of a podcast, Brent Hubs. <laughs> <laughs> won't, be, won't be the first time. Um, and, and, and listen, I mean, it used to be everybody talked about, you know, how long did you have something recorded and done? Or how, did you ever have one that never aired? Uh, those are becoming a little more frequent, you know, mm-hmm. in, in terms of guys. They're not afraid to do you know, they trust you. They're not afraid to go ahead and knock something out. And that doesn't mean – used to that meant it was a lock that that you were getting – that Tennessee was getting that kid. Uh, but that's not necessarily the case there. And we don't have anything done with Elijah rushing, and, and, and I'm not su- suggesting that we did but or that we do. I, I think that's Tennessee-Oregon. I know Arizona's hanging around there. But I think, Matt, you would agree. It feels like Oregon's the school everybody's been chasing. I think Tennessee certainly put a little little – flying that ointment, if you will, with their visit. Because I, I think that visit went better for the rushing family than they probably anticipated it going when they came out here. Not that they thought it was a waste of time, but, uh, you know, it felt like it felt like Oregon had a pretty good lead on him before he came to town. And after that visit, Tennessee did a really good job of closing that gap. We'll see if it's enough coming up later this week. And some other ones that, when you talk about, could be fireworks, if you will, in the coming you know weeks or whatever. Running back Braylon Russell. Of course, you got Amari Jefferson. 
you know, Mike Matthews. I mean, there's still there's still a lot more potential to obviously add on to this recruiting class, but to, to really get kind of like a, a home run prospect into this class, Matt Ray. Yeah, you know, I, I think he, here heading into, you know, the 1st of July, Tennessee's had some momentum with Braylon Russell. Haven't heard anything to suggest that that's still not the case. You, you have to close out there, though, at the end of the day. Um, he's going to announce on his birthday on July 14th, and, and Arkansas is not going to go away. The home state program that already had him committed once. But, um, you know, I think Tennessee's done enough there at this point to, to be the team to beat heading into that July 14th decision. Now now you have to hold on and, and survive the rest of the way. Um, you know, Maury Jefferson and Mike Matthews, both those guys are interesting to me. Um, you know, when do they do something? You know, I, I continue to think for, for Mike Matthews, it's mid to late July. He's focused, um, you know, Brent touched on this earlier. You, you talk about guys that, you know, their phone's buzzing constantly. They're trying to balance all sorts of things. I think right now that might be Mike Matthews. Um, you know, he's a guy that he's wrapped up these official visits. All these programs want to know where he's at. He's just trying to finish summer school so he can graduate early in December and get to, you know, enroll early at the school of his choosing. So I've talked to him, and he's focused on that. He's, he's really, really deep into that right now. It's a dead week in Georgia. Um, next week when things open back up, there'll be a padded camp, so he'll be a full go for that. Um, you know, but when does he decide to do something? I think once things shift back next week towards that football-type mindset, he's back around his team – I think he probably starts working towards a decision, and, and we'll see when he announces something. And then Amari Jefferson, I think he's interested in playing baseball, um, you know, just taking this thing as it goes. Um, it still feels like the, the more that you talk to folks at late July could be a realistic decision timeline. Does it get into August? You know, who knows? Um, he hasn't been in an extreme hurry um, to get this done at this point. But, you know, I, I continue to think that one, as we've said multiple times, if you talk to somebody on the Alabama side of things, they feel a little bit more optimistic about their chances, whereas if you talk to somebody on the Tennessee side of things, they feel a little bit more optimistic about their chances. And, you know, that's another one that, to me, right now is, you know, Tennessee um, has done some really good things in this recruitment, and I think, you know, that they have a chance to win out, Um They've closed the gap multiple times, and I think they're able to do that because of, you know, the opportunities that they present on the football field, on the baseball field, um, you know. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I, I'm interested to see, you know, a- Alabama folks think that Amari will be back to, um, you know, Tuscaloosa in late July once things open up to meet with a baseball program. That wasn't something that he got to do uh, during his official visit there. So, that, you know, that'll be something worth monitoring. But Again, I'm I'm kind of in the camp right now. If, if he makes that trip, I also think he makes it back to Knoxville at some point during that short open week. Uh, I, so I, th- I think those cancel each other out. We'll see. Yeah, I tell you this: bottom line in recruiting, the next four weeks are going to create fireworks or some duds. I mean, it, it is the Tennessee is in a bunch of. It feels like they're in a bunch of some coin flips, Matt. I mean, and yeah. that's not to say Tennessee's recruited bad. They're just in deep waters with some big high-profile schools. Feel like they've got some momentum with some guys, but they've had some. They've lost some. They've got some momentum back with various guys. The question is, how do they close this month? Because this month's going to tell a whole lot about what this class looks like. When they go to camp, they go to fall camp uh, four weeks basically from today and get this thing cranked up. 
Um, what that class looks like compared to now is going to be really, really fascinating. And, and, and the next four weeks are going to tell a whole bunch. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, and that same can be said for a couple targets in the baseball transfer portal as well. Tennessee's right in it for a couple of highly profile guys. And so uh, your best coverage for all of Tennessee sports, Tennessee football recruiting, basketball, baseball, transfer portal, all that stuff, it is at VolQuest.com. Appreciate you guys for being here. A fun discussion on some fireworks from this past academic year. It's been a good one as we celebrate the 4th of July here today. Go ahead and like this video so we can get in front of more Tennessee fans. Subscribe to the VolQuest YouTube channel if you haven't already. And... If you haven't joined our family over on the General's Quarters at VolQuest.com, I encourage you to do so right now. No better place to find your Tennessee information than at VolQuest.com. Big thank you, as always, to Exterior Home Solutions for making this coverage possible. For a free estimate, give them a call today at 865-524-5888 or visit them online at ExteriorHomeSolutions.com. For Rob Lewis, Brent Hubs, Matt Ray, I'm Eric Kane. Happy 4th of July, everybody. And don't forget, if you're in the situation... Put it in reverse, Terry. Have a good Tuesday, everybody. <laughs>